Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on this week's episode, we'll be looking at innovation and adaptive design. How businesses of all stripes can use the tenets of adaptive design to drive innovation. How a life-changing experience led to the formation of adaptive design and the five characteristics of great adaptive leaders. Here with us today to discuss those topics and more is Dr. John Kanagi, physician, healthcare executive, and the author of Designed to Adapt, Leading Healthcare in Challenging Times. Designed to Adapt was named Book of the Year in Healthcare Management by the American College of Healthcare Executives. Dr. Kanegi's writing has appeared in the Huffington Post and Healthcare IT News, and Forbes dubbed him the man who would save healthcare in a 2000 article featuring Dr. Kanegi's time studying at the Harvard Business School and subsequent attempts to lower the cost of healthcare using adaptive design. Organizations using adaptive design principles have saved millions of dollars in the years since. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Kanegi. Thanks very much, Will. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's start off today talking about what we mean when we say adaptive design. For someone who's never heard the term before, how would you describe it to them? Well, well, our organizations, successful modern-day organizations, since the Industrial Revolution, are great at optimizing. We're great at improving what we know how to do and being very successful, making gigantic breakthroughs. So we make great, great innovations, improving what we know how to do. We're designed to optimize, and, but that, and that's great until success factors change. And that's, where the, that's the challenge of being a great optimizing organization. We're really great at improving what we know how to do, but we find it almost impossible to do what we don't know how to do. In fact, the data is very clear that 95% of established successful organizations find it extremely difficult to innovate, to work outside the framework of their, of their current success. Optimization leads to blind spots. So if most organizations are perfectly designed to not adapt when times change, my interest was how do you, how do you develop an organization that's designed to adapt? How do you build and design adaptive capacity inside an established organization? So... You, you founded the theory when you actually had a jarring personal experience of your own. Uh, you, you fell from a tree and broke your neck, and that ultimately opened your eyes to the many things that were wrong in the healthcare space. So what did your experience as a patient teach you about what could be improved with healthcare? Well, sure. I'm a, I'm, so I'm a, I'm a vascular surgeon and active physician for 40 years, and and entered the uh, when I entered the healthcare world, it was at the beginning of the managed care revolution. Um, we actually was our our surgical group was one of the very first to go at risk and capitate for surgery with uh, in a contract with Kaiser that lasted for over 25 years. But it, I fell into the <laughs> the equation as a patient when in 1992 I fell out of a tree and broke my neck. And what I discovered, so I had a chance to look at my blind spots. I mean, we were a great optimizing organization. I had a chance to look at my blind spots. And what I saw was that I had many wonderful things happen to me. I made a complete recovery. I'm fully functional now. 
But it became clear that many of those wonderful things that happened to me happened on the back of an individual going the extra mile to make sure I got what I needed, not necessarily what the system was trying to deliver to me. And the system in and of itself could clearly get in their way. So uh, my insight, and I was part of that system. It was clear to me I was part of that system. So what if the system really made it easy for people to get what they needed? And that, that, led, me on this, uh, that led me on this course. How do you make innovation and improvement and adaptation a simple, low-risk, high-reward opportunity designed and built into the work? So in the in the Forbes article where they called you, quote unquote, the man who would save medicine, they talk about research that the, that the Harvard Business School's H. Kent Bowen and Steven Spear did on how Toyota found success throughout the 90s. So what were some of the things that helped Toyota revolutionize the auto industry that you kind of incorporated into adaptive design? Well, that's, that, that's another part of the story. And and. An important part of it, in 1997, I uh, was a regional vice president for business development for a great healthcare system in the midst of the managed care revolution, but it became increasingly obvious to me that that wasn't working. I ended up doing a self-empowered sabbatical and ended up being asked to be a visiting scholar at Harvard Business School, where, the, where, I, had, where I had a chance to engage in this work with with Toyota, and uh, the, the question was uh, that Toyota seek the Harvard Business School to answer, and that Kent Bowen and Steve Spear set out to do was that Toyota would say that they're not lean. Toyota would say, we read the lean literature and we see things we do, but we don't see us, and we don't understand that. And that was part of, uh, I think, one of the greatest uh, academic business academic inquiries uh, in the history of the, of the business is to really help better understand what the Toyota production system actually is. And very quickly, and we'll circle back on this, touch back on this, I'm sure, in the in this interview, that Toyota has a unique focus on developing people that actually started from their founder back in the back in the 20s, Mr. Toyota, and um, this focus on developing people, they would even, I, I even heard people at Toyota say, we're a people development company that happens to make cars. The second thing is that their, their focus on eliminating those blind spots. I talked about, you know, my blind spot that got eliminated by my falling out of a tree. Well, they, they make it easier than falling out of a tree to do this. The idea that Kaizen is not an event and it's not a rapid cycle workshop. But it's the nature of understanding when we have a blind spot in the way we're working and we've got an opportunity to improve it is the key. And that how, and it's making that a fundamental part of the everyday work. And if I, and if I can jump in, teachers, Kaizen, yeah. for, for those who may not know, is, is I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, kind of the art of continual improvement or evolution of, of something. Yeah, so that's that's that, yeah. Thanks, Will, for, for clarifying that. It's it's a it's a word uh, that that's exactly how Toyota focuses it. In traditional consulting, particularly traditional lean consulting, it's it's reduced to an event. We come in and we do an improvement event, or we have a rapid cycle workshop, or it's something that we implement or do, as opposed to the the fundamental part of everyday work, the processes of everyday work. 
and it's a and it's a mindset that I remember one of my teachers telling me, saying, you know, uh, people, my teacher would say, people say we at Toyota design great processes, and he said, oh, we don't. We know all our processes will fail. We know. Why do we know that? We know because we're human and we're not perfect. And even if we design a perfect process, the world is going to change around that. So we don't focus on designing perfect processes. We want a very easy way to know when our processes fail so that we can realign them. And we want to do that as simply and quickly as easily as possible. And that's how, that's why so much of our, of our improvement work is done in the course of everyday work at the front line. Okay, sure. So on, on that front, it sounds like a lot of what adaptive design advocates is fixing things on the spot as they happen. So is there any kind of threshold that you can apply to figure out if something is a problem with the process that needs to be fixed as opposed to someone's personal preference on how you know the world should work according to them? Yeah, that's a really that's a really great question. Uh, well, the, in adaptive design, and again, I adapt uh, and I adapted this from Toyota. We have a concept of uh, ideal mm-hmm. uh, that there's a place that we're going to take patient care, and it's five things that there's patients get exactly what they need. There's an immediate response for that need that it's customized individually, so it's not uh, you know it's not a not what your demographic needs. It's not necessarily evidence-based medicine. It's what you need. Mm-hmm. And that, that, that that happens in an environment that's safe, perfectly safe, for everyone, patient, staff, management. And finally, that there's no waste of any resource. So Toyota has a very, simple, a very similar concept, manufacturing concept of ideal. So the framework is rather than to implement ideal, you respond when the system is not, when you're not delivering one of those things. So that creates the signal, and that's something that anyone can understand in the course of work. Oh, Mrs. Jones in room 247, her blood pressure dropped a half an hour ago, and I did not know that. What is it about the way I'm working now that I did not have an immediate response? So it's that trigger, the trigger of ideal. Secondly, we have uh, there's a discipline and structure to how the improvements are made. There are four rules that we adopted from the Toyota production system, and they're very important. And every change is designed as an experiment where you can verify the endpoint, and it's safe to fail. And then the final piece, and I think this is really key, is management is essential to this work. This is not everyone, everybody, ollie, ollie, oxen, free, doing their own thing. Management sets clear direction. They... Uh, train and develop the skill sets to do this, and they challenge this flexibility. So it's, it's, it's discipline and structure that allows this to happen, but the structure actually enhances flexibility as opposed to uh, smothering flexibility because it makes it easy to identify when we've got a chance to approve to make it better. Okay, so the book you wrote, Dr. Kanegi, on adaptive design is about the healthcare industry, but adaptive design can really be adopted by companies across the board. So when we spoke before the show, for example, you said that 90% of what goes into adaptive design comes from observing companies that are not in the healthcare space. So we've talked about Toyota a little bit. What were some of the things that you observed from other companies outside healthcare that ended up feeding into the theory of adaptive design? 
Well, it's uh, and actually my introduction at the at the as a as a, a visiting scholar at Harvard Business School, I was asked to join uh, by Clay Christensen to join his team at the time that they were beginning to develop the idea of disruptive innovation in healthcare, and uh, that was a great opportunity for me. And the concept of the concept of disruptive innovation was very very influential in my thinking because, as Clay has shown very clearly. When industries transform, the established leaders essentially never lead the transformation. That the transformation comes from outside and under, and actually that gave me permission. I can stop feeling guilty because of working in a great healthcare organization and being a doctor. Maybe I wasn't supposed to be able to transform the system. So it gave me permission to, to, to look outside the system, and that's how I got initially involved with uh, the Toyota work. Other chances and opportunities I had was that I was an academic advisor to a consulting firm that uh, was working with uh, Intel in the late 90s on a project really stimulated by Clay Christensen's disruptive innovation work and how that affected Andy Grove and his thinking. That experience actually changed Clay's view of disruptive innovation, but it also gave me great insights into this work because... Intel created $60 billion worth of new business that the senior executive team, including Andy Grove, could freely say, we would have never gone into any of these things. We hadn't looked outside our current framework. Southwest Airlines, Herb Keller's uh, approach, um, very enlightening and a great story for healthcare. And I think the, the final thing is that um, the understanding that 95% of established organizations fail at innovation, working outside. We're great at optimizing. We find it very hard to do what we, what we don't know how to do. But the 5% who succeeded, and that was the source of my research, you know, like the Intel story. Uh, what did they do? What does Toyota do? And uh, it was very clear that leadership was very important, but as opposed to traditional optimizing in, uh, uh, organizations, instead of gathering data and analyzing data and meetings and implementing solutions and buying innovation, the 5% with intention established innovation incubators close to or sometimes far away from their own organization and authorized them to discover, to actually work outside the framework of our status quo. And adaptive design in healthcare, we do that at a process called a learning line, We what we call a learning line. We create, a, establish a place inside a health system that's designed to adapt and learn. Actually, that's my current focus rate, is we can dramatically change the point of care. We've done it over and over and over again, the book documented. This is, but it's a tremendous leadership opportunity. It's enabling leadership to rapidly learn, replicate and scale what they're discovering. That's a, it's a huge opportunity for us in healthcare, right? Sure. So, so one thing we talked about uh, before the podcast when we spoke is the importance of, of knowing what you don't know. So how does adaptive design help uncover insights that you otherwise might have missed? Yeah, I think uh, traditionally managed organization and the, the traditional optimizing mindset prizes knowledge that we know and understand. So we warehouse data that we'll be able to pull elsewhere. Great innovative organizations are really good. At, I mean, knowledge, that, that's really important. 
but knowledge is, is necessary but insufficient. The ability to know when you don't know that makes a difference. And the five characteristics of which are in my book, I, I've been pleased to say, have stayed very stable through this whole time of discovery that we've been doing them. Uh, um, very quickly, I can say that in every one of those organizations that I looked at that became a great disruptive innovator, that, that actually transformed themselves, I saw five things. Uh, first of all, leadership established a clear purpose for people to believe in. It was clear, consistent, and authentic. Very important part about that purpose is we're, we're, we create mission and value statements. All, every organization's got their mission and value statements, but who knows the mission and value statement on the front line and who uses that to engage and change their work? This purpose, like this concept of ideal, is actually, it's, it becomes, a, it's a North Star, it's a, it's a guideline. It shows us where we're going. Secondly, uh, these organizations uh, create a place, you know, that's, that's authorized to, to discover. You, uh, you identify places in your organization that can really make a difference. And what do you do there? You develop people as the number one resource. So that's the second clear attribute, not technology. Technology is really important, but it's people who adapt and use that technology. Microsoft was based on, you know, Bill Gates bought DOS for $50,000 from the Seattle Computer Company. And, I mean, everybody knows DOS. That, that's not an amazing technology, but it was Microsoft's ability to adapt that into the world, and it was people. Third, build trust and optimism within your organization. You want to maximize the capability of your people. It must be done in an atmosphere of trust and optimism. And you do that, leadership does that by being very clear, consistent, and authentic in what they're doing and enabling people to make progress toward that purpose. Very powerful. So build trust and optimism. Three, four, problem solve what doesn't work. Instead of designing perfect systems, identify when it's not working, and systematize that response. Nobody designs. We're not perfect. We're not going to design perfect systems. When you systematize that response, you build resilience. People are not afraid to trial and, make, and, and test because they know that failure is an opportunity. And then finally, and I think that this is the, the biggest one, number five, for particularly senior leadership, Instead of finding the, and buying the solution, the focus for leadership is to grow opportunistically and relentlessly by challenging the status quo. Optimization creates a status quo. That's great, and we want to continue to do that. But it's the ability to challenge, to make it safe to challenge the status quo inside your organization. That's the characteristics of converting a uh, a great optimizing into or an organization into one that can optimize, but also has adaptive capacity. So on your website at Carnegie Associates, as kind of a follow-up to that, you have a number of metrics that you've helped hospitals improve upon. Uh, how does adaptive design ultimately put money back in the hands of healthcare providers or companies that practice adaptive design kind of above and beyond the uh, efficiencies or the optimization of processes that you've talked about? 
Yeah, I think the I, I think again, and it gets back to the to the to the people focus. Mm-hmm. It's eliminating the things that don't need to be done. Mm-hmm. We create our blind spots that we have our opportunities. I mean, we find that, for example, very characteristically, a nurse spends only about thirty percent of her time in patient care. She spends the rest of her time in uh, job description administrative work. And most importantly, the biggest piece she spends in hunting, clarifying, documenting, workarounds, all the problem solving she needs to do within the context of her work to, 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 get, to keep the system going. That's work that doesn't need to be done. So the way that you increase the value, the way that you bring value back into the organization is, number one, realize you have blind spots. Number two, understand that those blind spots are creating unnecessary work. I call those sweat spots. (laughs) You know, that's just a place we don't need to be. And taking an example from a a CFO, uh, Jean Letourneau from Canada, he talks about blind spots, sweat spots. Then moving the organization to a sweet spot, how do you use that nursing activity to create new value in your organization, not just problem-solved systems? And that's where the return comes back and all the way across the board, uh, decreasing waste, increasing patient experience, uh, making it simpler, easier, and faster to get people what they need. Okay, got it. And and one of the things we talk about on the show a good bit is the future of technology in general and how it will impact our lives. From from a healthcare professional standpoint, um, are there things like ingestibles or 3D printed organs or other innovations coming that you think will really have a drastic change on the way healthcare is practiced? Yeah, I think they do. And I think that they'll tend to be outside the framework of the ingestibles and the 3D printed organs. I think that those will be good, but those are kind of fixes and they're, they're very traditional innovations. You know, they're very traditional innovation responses. We uh, see, uh, you know, see an opportunity to manufacture something that people can buy and will implement that. I think the innovations for the future, for the future is going to, we're going to move away from fixes to creating organizational fitness. Technology is not going to be warehousing data in the future. Instead of warehousing data, uh, which is warehousing knowledge right now, it's moving to decision support at the point of care. That's a tremendous opportunity. So innovations are increasingly democratized. We're continuing to discover what will make it better, simpler, easier, and faster to uh, to get patients exactly what they need at continually lower cost. So I think great technologies, this is a really important point, are not going to be designed in meeting rooms someplace. But technology companies creating active, exploratory, adaptive relationships with highly adaptive healthcare organizations so that the point of care can pull the solution that we need. Agile development, fabulous opportunity. Fabulous opportunity in healthcare. I think hooking agile development with a learning line, with an organization that's ready to learn, uh, and then replicating and scaling what we discover from that, that's, that's a gigantic opportunity in healthcare now. And do you see, I mean, this may seem like a, 
wild and woolly question, but I mean, do you see a point in time where people live to be 150, 160, 170 years old? That's a very interesting question that I don't know the answer to. And from the adaptive point of view, I would say, let's discover how that can happen. And it also brings into the possibility, uh, a key part of this work, that it's essential that the patient be a partner in the in, in the process. It's essential that the patient is just not a inert uh, entity that gets their pills. One of the things that is very frustrating me in my 40 years in healthcare right now is we continually beat the personal relationship out of healthcare. And I think it's a misguided use, actually, of, of technology to have your clinician typing the whole time you're sitting there giving your story is, I don't believe that's the future for healthcare. And I think there's tremendous opportunities for technology that will link the patient in the process, certainly mobile technology, linking the patient and their current status into a health system that's really responding to their needs. Yeah, maybe 120, maybe 150, you know. Sure. Okay. So one of our, one of our previous guests, uh, was a, a, a guy named Horace Dediu, who's brilliant, very smart guy, an Apple analyst. We talked about the future of mobile. And one thing that he talked about was was how healthcare has really been slow to uh, you know to to innovate and for lack of a better way to put it, because of government regulations around what can and can't be done and the type of information that can be shared. Do you see that being a roadblock to uh, you know, to, to things that really could improve people's quality of lives going forward? I think it's a handy excuse. <laughs> okay. Uh, first of all, why are we regulated? The government doesn't regulate companies that really work really well. So we in healthcare are part of the problem. Uh, yes, regulations are a problem, but they're but they're part of the landscape for everyone. What I've found and we've discovered is you can drop underneath regulation really quickly to get very, if you get very close to the patient, and then yes, you're aware of HIPAA, you're aware of patient disclosure, you're aware of, those are just part of the landscape. How do you adapt in that con, within the framework of those constraints? And it's, again, it's, it's, uh, I think that there's a huge opportunity to, right now those are excuses because they don't match our optimizing viewpoint. They don't match our optimizing thinking. From my point of view, they're just opportunities, and somebody's gonna somebody's gonna leverage them. What I'm interested in is helping that is helping that happen. How do we make it easier, simpler, and faster to get patients exactly what they need at continually lower cost? That's a, that's a tremendous opportunity for us. Sure, and and I don't and it seems like one of the kind of tenets of adaptive design is that any problem is in and of itself an opportunity that's just waiting to be solved. Yeah, I think that that's true, and, and I think an important aspect of it is being able to disaggregate our problems. Um, that's key, and that's why, you know, Toyota's genius of understanding that the management's not going to know what to do. We need to invest every brain in our organization in these solutions, and then disaggregating the problem. I'll give you a quick, very quick example. Medication error is reported as a big problem in healthcare, which we must fix with a big, expensive solution. Well, I've been in this business for 40 years, and I've seen medication error the whole time, and we've made very little progress in that framework. Errors still happen despite billions of dollars. 
but it becomes relatively easy when you disaggregate to the problem. So, so, so Toyota would say medication error is not a problem. It's the sum of a multitude of anomalies in our system. Start to understand and rapidly innovate around those anomalies as they are happening, and then linking technology to replicate and scale what we've discovered. Huge opportunity. Okay. We're just not in that space. That's an adaptive opportunity as opposed to an optimizing opportunity that we can figure out in the meeting website. Sure. Got it. So we're uh, we're getting toward the end of the episode, getting a little low on time. Any any final part any final parting words of wisdom for the audience on, on how to employ adaptive design in their everyday lives? Well, one of the things I'm very interested in is uh, and I've discovered one of my current research projects is, is around the human brain and decision-making. And uh, what I've discovered is that adaptive design works a lot like, the, like our brains work. Uh, our brains are, first of all, our brains are designed to optimize. We tend to repeat what's been, we hardwire what's been successful for us in the past. The ability to have a purpose, a meaningful purpose that actually changes your behavior. When you can say, oh, you know, I'm not meeting my purpose. I need to change my behavior is, is, is a key piece for, for, for any human. Secondly, to make progress toward that purpose, you know, it's the sort of thing you do when you go to the gym and you say, I want to be really fit. And, to, and that's my purpose. And when you don't go to the gym, you recognize that, oh, that's a problem. How do I redesign what I'm doing so I get to the gym? But then making progress toward that that's a powerful neurophysiologic response. We can become addicted to that in our brains. Our brains can really like that. And it's experiencing success, making progress. That yeah. goes for individual humans and it goes for organizations. Purpose, progress, and the experience of success. Okay, got it. Those are those are great uh, points to close on, uh, and and reminds me of a book that I read recently called Flow by Mahaley. His last name starts with a C. I won't even uh, butcher it, but the crux of it is that our lives are more fulfilling if we set goals and then strive to achieve them continually. Uh, so it's uh, again called Flow. Great book, pretty deep. If anybody out there is looking for some self improvement books, uh, but very interesting insights into the way the human mind works, really. Yes, you're right on target. And Flow exists. It's real. Uh, we 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 see it all the time, and uh, being able to leverage it. And actually, the the neurophysiology of leadership and innovation is an interesting subject. We we might even. We could even have that conversation, but that's a that, that's a great example. And again, I can't I can't do his last name either, but I but I, I do. <laughs> I'd recommend the book. Definitely. All right. So, uh, people. If we remember one thing, it's that innovation is about the people. And uh, if we remember two things, setting goals really helps in uh, in in getting from point A to point B with innovative uh, or, or innovation efforts. Dr. Kanegi, thank you so much for joining us today. Great conversation about adaptive design and uh, using it to drive innovation. Thank you very much, Will. It's been my pleasure. I've, I've, uh, I, I've enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about Dr. John Kanegi, you can visit his website at kanegiassociates.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at, at John Kanegi, MD. And you can find his book, 
Designed to Adapt on Amazon.com. Thanks again to Dr. Kanegi for joining us this week. And thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune into next week's episode when we're excited to have Ries Van Wolfen on the podcast to talk about his best-selling book, The Innovation Expedition. We'll be looking at what Christopher Columbus, Edmund Hillary, and other famous trailblazers throughout time can teach us about corporate innovation, what to take into account when figuring out who to invite on your own innovation journey, and the mindset necessary to complete successful innovation efforts. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next week.